What's up, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of Yank and a Swede, a Premier League podcast. I'm your Swede, Sebastian Noren, with me, your Yank, Elliot Niblock. And um, I'm just counting down the days here now. It is cold as balls in Ohio, and <laughs> in less than a week, I'll be on a beach. Oh, yeah? Where are you going? Uh, we're going to Puerto Rico. Oh, nice. I've never yes. been there. And it's like 80s. Which in uh, Celsius is like twenty high twenties, so it will be very very nice. Get away from all the snow and the cold and everything that comes along with it here in the Midwest. So let's touch upon some European football here, as we had the uh, closing group stage games in the Champions League and the Europa League midweek. And our biggest focus will be on Tottenham Hotspur as they managed to get through to the knockout stages after getting a 1-1 draw away to Barcelona. Meanwhile, Inter Milan failed miserably as they got a 1-1 draw at home to PSV Eindhoven. Yeah, this was... uh, I mean, of course, Barcelona had nothing to play for, which bears mention... um, and certainly played a weakened a weakened side, but by no means you know a, a pushover team against Tottenham. And I mean, this really could have gone either way. Tottenham still could have lost this match. Rakitic hit the post just moments before Mora got the equalizer in the 85th minute. But all credit to Spurs. I mean, they had twice as many shots on target as did Barca. Uh, they. I think earned a point. You have to say, even if they could have lost the match, and this is really this is really Inter's <laughs> uh, Inter's egg laid as much as it is Tottenham's point gained. I would say. Yeah, I mean, getting a one-one draw against the you know worst team in the group. I know of an only finish with two points. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> definitely not good enough if you want to reach knockout stages. And there's been a lot of criticism here of Spalletti, their manager. I read something yesterday that they might be looking to get in Diego Simeone. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I don't know why he would leave, though. Like, I mean, he's he said that he wants to take on Inter one point in his career, but at the same time, he's yeah. also stated that he's very happy with Atletico Madrid right now, as he I mean, should how, be. Yeah, how could he not be? You know, uh, they're they're having a good season. They're still significant underdogs, but they're only three points off Barca and two points ahead of Real, which I know to a lot of Atleti supporters is at least as important. Um, I, yeah, I think that wanting to manage Inter at one point in his career, maybe at the end of the season, but I I can't see him in, I can't see him coming into match day 16, still in the mixer for the discussion of the La Liga title, leaving any time before the summer at the very earliest for another job. Yeah. Well, and also the other thing is that, you know, his stock is such that he could have his pick of jobs in Europe I mean, all respect to Inter, but he could have his pick of jobs in Europe and then go to Inter afterwards, you know? Like, he could manage Manchester United, and I think it's a hard sell if you're going to tell me that Inter Milan is a bigger club than Man U. Yes. You know, I, I, would you be happy to have him replace 
Oh, yeah. Mourinho oh, at Old yes. Trafford? Oh, yeah. yes. I think most people would be. I mean, because he's a defensive coach, but he's one that doesn't have the same reputation for, you know, divisiveness in the locker room. In fact, if anything, he tends to be beloved by his players and also manages to put together attacking performances in addition to that stalwart defending. So, yeah, I... I agree he will probably end up at Inter at some point, but I bet that there are especially money-minded agent voices in his ear saying, you know, what if instead you made your millions first and then went to Inter in a decade? Because uh, he's still he, got he, a lot of he, he can still get a good paycheck at Inter. Oh, of, co- of course, yeah. No, I mean, I, and I don't think that it's going to be totally reducible to that. But you've got to also think about kind of your cultural capital as a manager, right? In that if he moves from Atletico to Inter Milan, which I would argue is pretty much a lateral move in terms pretty of much. the size of each of their clubs, you know, at that, and then there's no guarantee that a move to, you know, one of the quote unquote biggest clubs in the world, like a Barcelona, a Manchester United uh, in these moneyed days, arguably a PSG or a Man City as well. You know, a move to a club like that is absolutely within his grasp at this moment, and there's no guarantee that it would be in the future. So, I think his stock is high enough that even if he went to Inter and had a bad year or two and got fired, I still think he could get one of the big jobs. Maybe, uh, I- Yeah, one of the big jobs, but I mean, there's... There's a reason – I don't think that the reason that Pep Guardiola is managing at the Etihad and not at the Emirates is reducible only to timing, right? Like there are big clubs in England that are, you know, arguably – maybe Arsenal is. I mean from my my own personal commitments, I want to say a quote-unquote bigger club than Atletico Madrid, but I don't think so. I think that would also be a lateral move. I think Inter, Atleti, Arsenal – all kind of on the same tier. And even though Arsenal are obviously ahead of United in the table in the moment, in terms of kind of the stature of the job, the weight of the pressure and the pull of the global brand, you know, United are on another level. You just got to be honest about that. Yep. No, that's totally true. So the other English sides in Champions League, Liverpool took a nice one nothing win over Napoli, which... Um... You know, that's kudos yeah. on them. So they made you, it through. You know, one thing, actually, this is not an uh, English team, but it's kind of the other side of our, well, I guess we're a Yank and a Swede. There's no Brit in here. But regardless, from the American perspective, I want to shine a quick light on Club Bruges and Ethan Horvath, who had a phenomenal run down the stretch of the group stage in the Champions League, uh, kept... He was out from injury for the first three matches and then came on to produce three clean sheets to provide Bruges with a surprise Europa League berth. And, I mean, these are, you know, keeping clean sheets against the likes of teams like Atletico Madrid is, you know, no mean feat. So I think that uh, he's, he's a player who I'm excited to see in the U.S. men's national team. And I think the con- the conversation and competition between Ethan Horvath and Zach Steffen is something to keep an eye on. So that's just your little U.S. men's national tidbit. For well, I, I, feel, I feel like we've said for a while now that, you know, he's the future of the U.S. men's national team. And I think Stefan, uh, 
with a summer move here now to Manchester City, I'm assuming that he's going to be sent out on loan. But at the same oh, time, you know, it's still it's still a big move for you as soccer. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, and the thing is that at that position, just watch Ederson in training for the handful of matches that you get every summer for the first two or three years. And that in and of itself is absolutely priceless experience. Yep. Very, very true. Okay, Manchester United. Two to one defeat to Valencia. Didn't look good. It's tiring to talk about, but they're already through, so they go through as the second place team in Group H. Juventus take the crown there, which means that um, as far as their draw goes, let's see. Yeah, the draws, we should say, are on Monday for the Mm -hmm. round of 16. Uh, United, they can end up playing Barcelona, Bayern, Dortmund, PSG, Porto, or Real Madrid. Oh, and boy. The... I would say the only team I would feel comfortable playing would be Porto. Yeah, I was, that's what I was going to say, is you're hoping for that Portuguese connection there. Pretty with much. <laughs> pretty much. And that's not saying that Porto is a bad team, but out of these teams that are here... I think I would... it's the only... It's fair to say that it's the only one that United... I mean, the bookies would agree with you that United would be favorites to qualify against. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the other ones they could turn into real bloodbaths, really. Yeah. So. Um, well, we'll see. I, I mean, we can knock Mourinho for a lot of things, but his team is not one that I think is prone to getting eviscerated five nil by Barcelona, even if I don't think that they would have much of a chance of progressing. Yeah. No, and I mean, I'm not going to knock Porto here because they did go unbeaten through the group stage. They had 16 points, five wins, one draw. They scored 15 goals while allowing six. So they're not a bad team. I'm just saying that out of all these teams, that's the one team where I would feel most optimistic of us going through. Yeah, and I mean Porto Group D with Schalke, Galatasaray, and Lokomotiv Moscow. I think was probably probably the the most comfortable group of all of them, shall we say? Yeah. Um, so, but we shall see. We'll find out on Monday. Yep, that's true. Um, let's see. Did I? F- no, I didn't forget anyone. Good Europa League. How did Arsenal do? How did Chelsea do? <laughs> Well, Arsenal played to a 1-0 victory against Karabag. Uh, I think that it was it was a better game for the Gunners than the scoreline suggests. Uh, there were a couple missed opportunities, particularly uh, the young 17-year-old left winger Saka had a, a chance to score his first senior team goal late in the match that he absolutely should have converted, but... He'll be frustrated with that, but despite that, I think that the match on the whole was really encouraging from an Arsenal youth perspective, even though it was Ertzel combining with Lacazette for the only goal of the game, right? The two biggest name senior players on the pitch. But nonetheless, the young guns, I thought, looked excellent, particularly um, Bukayo Saka. And in addition... Lawrence Koscielny coming back, huge for Arsenal. We're really thin at center back, not only because of injury, but also with suspension coming into the weekend. 
He, granted, didn't get tested too much by Karabag, but he looked comfortable. He was all smiles. You can see he was really thrilled to be out there, and I think that he will be focused. And even, you know, coming off such a long injury with his ruptured Achilles, I even expect him to start against Southampton, in part because of, you know, suspension of Socrates, but I expect him to be in the starting 11 on Sunday for Arsenal. So all around, you know, not... Not one for the ages, not one for the record books, but uh, a good game from both a senior returning from injury and youth development perspective for the Gunners. Mm -hmm. Chelsea got a 2-2 draw against Molvidi, the team formerly known as Videoton. No longer Videoton? Nope, they changed their name this year. It, that's such a weird thing. It's like, ah, oh, let's let's change our names. Yeah, I can't imagine that. Yep. Oh well. I yep. mean, we changed the jerseys enough. <laughs> yeah, and logos. I'm still I'm still not used to Juventus' new logo. It's been a couple of years. I'm still not used to it. Yeah, I'm getting there. I mean, they. Yeah, the the. I think the adage about logos holds true with a little bit to a little bit lesser extent than Stadia. I mean, stadiums, the actual physical space and how that impacts your mentality is really important. But the best way to make them your own is to win things with them. And whatever you think about the logo, Juventus have certainly won things. Yep. Yeah, Chelsea still go through as number one in their group. Uh, 16 points plus nine goal differentials. So all hunky-dory there as well. With that, let's move over to the Premier League and the slate of games we got ahead of us here this weekend. Things kick off on Saturday morning, 7.30 a.m. kickoff between Manchester City and Everton. But the big game is on Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Liverpool taking on Manchester United at Anfield. And it could be Mourinho's last game in charge of United. You think so? That I, I'm just reiterating what all the papers are saying right now. Well, of course they. I are. don't think I, mean, it, I don't think it is unless they get absolutely humiliated. Yeah, I I think that if they lose by fewer than three goals, his job is still probably safe. Yeah, we need but... like an eight two. Remember that eight two again? Shut up, Seb! <laughs> oh my god! You know what? Just for that, I hope that's the scoreline. Uh... I really do. Oh, that would be horrible. Yeah, it would be great. <laughs> come on, come on, Liverpool. Yep. Liverpool, they do have some issues at the back. They have some injuries, although Virgil van Dijk is at least whole. But uh, Matip is out and Gomez is out. Yeah, I mean, Virgil van Dijk is, however, the absolute anchor of that defense. And while I wouldn't want to discount the importance of any of those players, I think that when you have your first name on the team sheet defensively still fit, then rotating the pieces around him is hope, you know, from a Liverpool perspective, hopefully not quite as detrimental, but yeah, no, I, I think that, I think that United have the personnel to score against this Liverpool defense, especially banged up as it is, even on the road at Anfield. Do they have the mentality to, do so. That I'm not entirely sure, especially under Mourinho. And let's be honest, this is a Liverpool team that 
has only conceded six goals all season. Yeah. And I can't imagine that United keep a clean sheet against them. I think that means United need at least two goals to win, if maybe even draw. And I just, I don't see United pulling this 2-1, 3-2 victory out of the bag. I think that a point at Anfield is a win for... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, at least they have a plus goal differential now after beating Fulham 4-1 to last weekend. They're a plus two now, 28 goals for and 26 goals against. So they got 20 more goals conceded than Liverpool, which is just scary. Especially that. considering that they have the best keeper in the world. Yeah, I was going to say, what if they did not have De Gea between the posts? I mean, ooh. Yeah, he's, and this is supposed to be Mourinho's... so many times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, something is rotten in Manchester, that's for sure. And unfortunately, from a United perspective, the rot is not wearing blue. Mm, no, it's Portuguese rotten fish. <laughs> Is there such Yummy. a thing? I was going to say, is there such a thing? No, you're the... I'm sorry, Seb, but I'm pretty sure the... I mean, rotten uh, fish, we got that in Sweden. The yeah. only ones who eat rotten fish. Uh, let's see here. What is this? What's the Swedish name for that stinky rotten fish? Uh, Lutvisk. Uh, That's one... Is it Isn't there a like, particularly pungent other version? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember here. Uh, there's Ludafisk, and then there's... My friend Scarlett was telling me there's, like, a law against opening it inside public buildings. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm totally blanking on the name here right now. Sirustroming, that's what it is. Yeah, that's sour, right. Sour herring, so it's fermented uh, herring. It's the... It's up there with, like, durian. As far as pungent smells of a food. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah. Anyway... Yes. Rotten, fermented, whatever herring's equivalent in Iberia is. Yeah, I'm not really seeing here. They have bacalao, which is like a dried and salted cod, but that's not, you know, it's not rotten. But oh well. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, maybe we just need to salt Mourinho, and then he'll be fine. Oh, he's salty enough. <laughs> after, yeah, I kind of uh, set you up for that. Yeah, after a loss, he's salty <laughs> enough. Uh, Liverpool, they took a 4 nothing win on the road against Bournemouth. Uh, we said ahead of that game that, you know, this is one of those games where they need to go in and sort of make a statement. Bournemouth, although they haven't been in great form, they've still been up there as far as their place in the table. And they did just that. And they went past Manchester City, who lost 2 nothing on the road against Chelsea, which we also talked about. And Chelsea's stellar record against the reigning champions at Stamford yep. Bridge. And that, that continues. It continues, yeah. So if we take a look at the table right now, Liverpool at the top, 42 points. City in second, 41 points. Spurs, 36 points after beating Leicester 2-0 on the road. And then Chelsea in fourth, 34 points. Same as Arsenal, who took a 1-0 win over Huddersfield. And then there's a drop down to sixth. And Manchester United, 26 points. Yeah, well, like you said, at least you've got the positive goal differential back. <laughs> yep. Hurrah. Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. I mean, that's the thing, too. I think we might actually start seeing a gap here. I think United could actually pull out enough points to sort of build the gap down to Everton, Bournemouth, Leicester, Wolverhampton. But at the same time, that's that not that's not good enough. They They need to be at least top four. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, with their, I mean, with the amount of money they have in their squad and the, as I said earlier, the weight of history they have to live up to, anything less than fourth place is failure. And I, I mean, I, again, I think that whoever comes in, you have to give them a rebuilding year, right? It's like similar with what I said at the beginning of this season, you know, for Unai Emery, if we finish fourth, that will be a huge victory. And if we finish fifth, that'll be fine. But next year, if we don't finish fourth, then that will be a failure. Yeah. And I think that whoever comes in after Mourinho, and I, I don't get me wrong, I do think that that United are loath to leave him, but I can't imagine Mourinho managing managing Manchester United a year from now. Ugh, yeah, that would be <laughs> tough. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's part, nightmares. Yeah, pretty much. And that's part of why I want to see a change now so you can have that period be the second half of the season and then you have a full summer of transfers and everything and then you can yep. then you can kick off and try to be, okay, let's aim for top four instead of Mourinho sees out the season, they finished in sixth or seventh, and then you replace him, and then you need that growing year. Yep. And then the following year, then you're supposed to be up and battling for top four again. Yep. Uh, I mean, I think, here's the other thing, is that I think barring that kind of epic collapse at Anfield that we've been speaking about, I just wonder if the board are going to give him the Champions League. They're going to give him that as a chance to say, you know what? You've done it before. Go out there and win this thing to save your job. Uh, that would be a tough, tough ask. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a tough ask. But I still wouldn't be surprised if that was kind of some of the um, the thinking going on in the boardroom at Old Trafford. Maybe, maybe. Well, well, could you? Because he does carry such a hefty financial penalty. Yes, if he, gets he does. Fired. He does. So, I mean, you know, from a fan's perspective, the answer is we don't care. He's shit. Get him out of there. But like, it is literally their jobs to keep that in mind. And the windfall from the Champions League is also significant. And so, you know, that's a way in which, if I'm in the Manchester United board, I'm thinking, all right. The prestige is important, but the Champions League contains both prestige and a pretty hefty windfall. Let's see if we can't try to combine those two things to save the season and not have to pay out this huge parachute payment to the manager. Yeah, and it's also a you know an acknowledgement of failure from Ed Woodward if he has to fire Mourinho. Oh yeah, totally. So, and I mean his his job should be <laughs> on the line as well. I feel like yeah. Uh, still haven't heard anything about a sporting director or director of football yet. Uh, hopefully that will get sorted. It's, I, I mean, it's like Arsenal, I think, as the the times change, then eventually everybody's going to have one. I mean, there's just so much money involved. Like, there's so many – the increasing specialization of jobs in football is such that I cannot imagine that that won't be uniform throughout the big clubs in the top leagues across Europe. You know, um, it's just that it's just the way of the it's the way that the game is moving. Oh, it's absolutely true. Uh, among we'll travel back to Saturday here. Now we got 
a handful of games that kick off at 10 a.m. The one you can see on NBC Sports Network is Spurs taking on Burnley at home. The other games are on NBC Sports Gold, which is Crystal Palace, Leicester, Huddersfield, Newcastle, Watford, Cardiff, Wolverhampton against Bournemouth. And then the 12.30 p.m. kickoff, Fulham against West Ham. Give me that London derby. <laughs> Every weekend, we got to have at least one. Yeah. So that's on NBC proper. Oh, gosh. NBC Gold. Are you going to finally make me pay for you at some point? Uh, Sunday. I really don't want to. Yeah, Sunday, Brighton against Chelsea, NBC Sports Network. Then Southampton Arsenal, NBC Sports Gold. And then Liverpool and Man U on multiple broadcasters. Yeah. I just I hate the paywalls. I, you know what I really like? And I wish that NBC would do this. Although just the fact that I'm talking about considering <laughs> buying NBC Sports Gold regardless is why they're not. But the Bleacher Report live subscription system, have you used that at all this season to watch the European matches? No. So I didn't even know that Bleacher Report still existed. Sorry, guys. Uh, no offense. But <laughs> I think that one of the things that they're trying to do to save their business, and it's a business model that I'm about to endorse, is that they've gotten the streaming rights to Champions League and Europa League matches, and also Carabao Cup as well, if I'm not mistaken. Oh no, I, I take that back. That could be ESPN Plus. But you buy, you don't, you can pay for a subscription for ten dollars a month, which is pretty reasonable, and that covers all of the games. Or you can just buy single matches for three dollars each. So you know, for example, yesterday's Arsenal match. Sure, I'll give you three dollars to have that on in the background. Why not? You know. Yep. And I and I love that because it doesn't mean that I'm paying for every Europa League match because let's be real, I'm not going to be watching most of the Europa League matches. Sorry, Vidi. <laughs> no, that, that's very, very true. Uh, I do wish that... I don't know why they ended up going that route. I wish one of the big networks would just come in and bought the whole thing, really. For Champions League, you mean? Yeah, or for, for, the... for all of it. Well, I mean, the frustrating thing with NBC is that they they have all of these other networks. And, you know, again, speaking of the commercial specialization in sports, I'm sure that the television executives know more than I do about the ratings. But, like, for example, on those final match days, you know, when they simulcast all of the games from – you know, lifetime network to MSNBC and whatever. Like, like, why not? Why not do that? And apparently, they can monetize the NBC Sports Gold subscriptions more than they can put it on those cable networks. But it is certainly frustrating from a fan's point of view. Yeah. Okay, as the hum of your space heater or something. <laughs> it's the furnace furnace starts up we're gonna round up and say that you can follow us on twitter i'm seb norin keith was better is elliot and one yank one sweet is the show and we'll talk to you again after the weekend before i go on my vacation until then have a good one bye-bye